Hi, and welcome to my first podcast where I speak to those involved in health and well-being and share some new stuff. Uh, plus, I'll be asking questions that my clients and friends have asked me over the years. Today, I'm really pleased for my first podcast to introduce Dr. Susie Gronsky, and uh, she's a physical therapist specialising in pelvic health for the public, <laughs> as, we, <laughs> for the public. <laughs> as we established last time. Um, so tell us how pelvic floor and pelvic health and fanny farts all come together. <laughs> That's a wonderful introduction. I love it. Fanny farts. Who doesn't want to talk about fanny farts? <laughs> I think the post was um, fanny pants and incontinence, like women's underwear and incontinence issues that some women deal with unnecessarily. Uh, so my post was more so geared towards towards that and, and making it aware, less taboo, that if you're pissing yourself when you're exercising yeah. or laughing or, or coughing or sneezing or playing with your kids or on the trampoline, um, that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's help for it, most importantly. Yes, that's a problem. And number two, there's help for it. You don't have to be wearing pads for the rest of your life. I did a little review on a, a company called Fanny Pants. Oh, right. Yeah, that's that's it, yeah. Yeah, they create uh, incontinence type underwear and reusable pads for those that you know suffer from incontinence. Whereas you know, I support a company like that because who wants to deal with you know plastic pads and and poise pads and those sort of things that have like bleached chemicals and all of that on them. Oh, all right. It actually can irritate the bladder, but. I also promote my profession, which I like to say I'm the physiotherapist for your privates. Right. But um, it's it's where women women and men, you know, could suffer incontinence with um, coughing, sneezing, laughing, jumping, exercise, you know, playing with their children, jumping on the trampoline, and that shouldn't that that's not normal. And it there's help for that. There's right. uh, strong evidence to support that pelvic floor phys physical therapy or physiotherapy helps with symptoms of incontinence and you can live a incontinence free or leaky free life so all right that, that's that's really interesting actually because you mentioned the trampoline and that I've heard heard before some some of my clients in the past have said no they're going to definitely avoid joining the kids on the trampoline otherwise they feel their guts are going to fall out you know that 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 sort of thing but you say that's not normal or is is it just a well to be honest with you it's usually women that I've heard this from usually having had children as well so is this something that uh, you've found in your your clinic uh, or it is very common um one, women have three holes, <laughs> two, uh, and um, they do, um, of course, deliver children. So the more children that you deliver, the more children that you have, it predisposes the pelvic floor to dysfunction or issues down there. Um, those pelvic floor muscles, when you're delivering, when you're having a child, not only, you know, I should backtrack, not only when you're carrying the child your you know your uterus is growing and the belly gets bigger and those muscles down there are overworked and underpaid you know they're really they're they're working 
24 hours a day, seven days a week to help sustain some of that pressure from above, you know, that intra-abdominal pressure, that's their job. So, you know, you've got nine months of that. Now, in addition to hormones that are changing, you have ligament laxity. So you've got things like, um, relaxin, which is a hormone that does that. It relaxes the ligaments and the muscles to Mm -hmm. help widen the pelvis to make room for the baby during delivery. So your pelvic bones become wider. So things are loosey-goosey down there, um, and those muscles are really doing um, a tremendous amount of work to help stabilize the pelvis during pregnancy. And during delivery, um, you know, if all goes well, the chances of having a risk of pelvic floor dysfunction is, is minimal, but you know, in reality, how often does that really happen? Where in an ideal world, nothing goes wrong, right? Yeah, sure. um, if you're if you're pushing too too hard for a long period of time, all that repetitive stress and strain down the pelvic floor can predispose you to dysfunction and injury. And also, if you're pushing really hard but really fast in a short amount of time that can also predispose you to a dysfunction or injury um there are muscles down there so you know you have things that uh, some of the muscles may tear and fray, fray away from the pelvic bone right you know, you've got right. yeah so that that happens they are overstretched uh, as the baby comes out they those muscles are overstretched i think it's two times the the length of their original size Right. So think of your bicep stretching twice its size. Right, right. Oof. Where do we start? Where do we start? So just one of the things you said there about pushing too hard and for too long. So mm-hmm. are you saying that a, a really long labor can uh, really weaken these muscles or do they bounce back? Uh, I, was, I, I, I remember the, um, I've certainly come into contact with, clients sort of um getting close to uh, giving birth and i've done you know yoga classes where i'm not actually it wasn't a yoga class but it was a an exercise class where I, relaxing meant that they were at risk so i had to watch them pretty you know um and and, and limit them with what they were doing um and adapt the exercises for them so the body bouncing back i have you know and these pelvic floor muscles returning to normal how soon is should they return to normal after a standard pregnancy or standard delivery shall we say that depends on the person so so it's so hard to say that you know in in general practice you know conventional medicine and standard of care will the OBGYNs will say oh it's been six weeks they do a little check and oh you're good to go go back to normal activity I would have to um, beg to differ on that one. Um, they're oftentimes told to return to exercise, maximum exercise. Now think about this. If oh. somebody had surgery, right, or had a knee replacement or a hip replacement, would it, would it be safe to say that after six weeks of healing that they should go back to their normal, everyday, full, mm. full-blown exercise regimen or after any type of muscle injury or something like that? I don't think so, you know? Yeah, um, sure. so, you know, why are these, why are doctors not picking up on the cues that they need to be rehabbed? Those muscles need to be rehabbed. They've been, um, stressed, 
and honestly traumatized from delivery and you know ample recovery time depends on you know how well are what's their diet like what's their stress like at home you know those all those things impact their you know their sleep deprivation a lot of women are having they're not sleeping their sleep cycles are disrupted because they have a child that they have to tend to you know breastfeeding or feeding in general Mm. um you know, the life changes when you have a child, especially for new moms and moms that are seasoned and have a new baby, a newborn and in addition to two other children, you know. So there, there's a whole complexity in, in analyzing, you know, a, a person in terms of, you know, what's going on biologically, what's going on psychologically, you know, mentally, psychologically. Yeah, sure. And what's going on socially in their environment? You know, what support do they have? Um, and how resilient um, a woman is during and after her pregnancy. And, and that, that, that depends on, on, on the support that she has and the strength that she thinks she has as well. So not only the musculoskeletal or the, the actual physical component of, of, of strength and resilience, but also the emotional and mental component as well. Wow. Okay. <laughs> we have strayed a little bit off um, track how I, I, I envisaged, um, but uh, this is important because, I, again, I've I've had many a client who really wants to, they've had a baby, they want to bounce back. There's no time for, uh, you know, the clock is ticking, they want to get my body back, I want to get my body back. You know, they're going to do, feel that they can do what it, as much as they can and push themselves really hard to get back to their former self with all these factors that you've mentioned uh, which which makes it really difficult right or predisposes them to injury because they are you know they are still again their hormones are trying to balance as well Mm. and if they are breastfeeding still they are still releasing prolactin um and oxytocin and those are all hormones that are contributing to soft tissue you know changes as well in the body so that also can predispose them to injury um, prematurely if they're going into things head on instead of a gradual kind of progression. Um, to the opposite end of that, you know, some women have pain after they deliver. I mean, their muscles not, might not be weak, but they might have an overactive or, spa- uh, you know, how you think of a Charlie horse or spasm where you've got like a knot in your upper trap or something, you know, a tight muscle. Those muscles down there could also be acting that way. And if you don't release the muscle and lengthen the muscle, the function of that muscle to help you or to strengthen would be counterintuitive at that point. Right. You know, it's just adding to the problem. You're adding more fuel to the fire if you're not addressing the true component of what the dysfunction might be in, in that person's case. Right, right. It sounds pretty much from what we've just been talking about that you probably work in close relationship with uh, gynecologists? I work closely with gynecologists, urogynecologists, those that deal with bladder dysfunction, um, with naturopathic doctors, integrative doctors. I, I typically get my referrals from word of mouth. You know, one no. patient will tell another patient will tell another patient. Um, but I know the pelvic floor community and the, the specialists, women's health specialists in general, they are very strong and they really do do a good job all around the world of trying to educate practitioners, um, general practitioners and also gynecologists, because you'd be surprised. Um, it isn't standard of care to send a woman after, after six weeks postpartum to rehab or to pelvic floor physical therapy. It's not standard of care. Whereas France, 
Um, I think Australia and even even in the UK, I'm not sure, but overseas, it's standard practice to to send a referral to pelvic floor phys- physiotherapy okay. in, in, after afterwards. Whereas in the states, uh, sadly, that's not that's not the case, and I see that day in and day out. Okay, Susie. So per- perhaps um, it's best if you tell the listeners a little bit about physical therapy because and and your your specialism because I hadn't heard of physical therapy I've heard of physiotherapists physiotherapy over here and physiotherapists um, and what you do is very similar or if not the same I presume yes it is the same physiotherapy and physical therapy um, are technically this the same it's just a matter of the standard of education or um, the curriculum that you've taken in terms of um, what name designation to use I mean I personally use both like I like to say I'm a physiotherapist for your privates it just sounds better but um, the American Physical Therapy Association recognizes both under physical therapy Um, overseas like in the UK Australia and and, um, in Europe they use physiotherapy as is regular recognition for physiotherapists um in the states it's physical therapy therapists so they're both the same one in one in the same the one distinction though is that our degree is a doctorate degree so we are we are allowed to call ourselves doctors of physical therapy i see i see but you all you also do this uh visceral manipulation we were talking about and perhaps you'd enlighten a little bit more about that what's that what what's involved yeah. there I love visceral work. So visceral manipulation is the act of manip- not manipulating. I would say providing manual therapy, hands-on work to the the myofascial system around organ structures. That could also include manip- manipulation of the nerves, bl- uh, blood vessels, any anything anywhere in the body that from a protocol standpoint of doing this work that you get pulled to. So I like to think about it as is this analogy. Let's say you have a, a bowl uh, a bowl, and you put saran wrap really tight over the top of that bowl. And you put your hand in the middle of that saran wrap on that bowl and you feel its smoothness and its contour, right? The cellophane wrap or that saran wrap is nice and smooth. I tell you to close your eyes and then I pinch the corner of that cellophane wrap. What you'll feel or what you should feel or what a visual practitioner feels is a a line of pull or a line of tension. Your hand is going to be attracted to any area of restriction, adhesion, or tension that is most important for the body in that moment in time, in in that day, whenever that person is presenting to you. So I'm I'm physically finding areas of tension uh, or restriction in the body that that person's body is telling me to go to. And this oh, wow. takes pra- lots of practice, obviously, to develop uh, hands that can feel for those sensitivities and that detail. That's a lot um, of practice. Lots of practice, just like a wine connoisseur has to <laughs> many, many wines, right? Yes, to develop of course. A <laughs> so, um, so that, and, and that's what I do. So I work inside, uh, I call it the body mechanic or the organ mechanic, yeah. but essentially, you know, scar tissue, um, inflammation and recurrent infections, the poor diet, stress, those are all distributed in the body and will manifest themselves in a physical way. Um, and over time, these compensatory mechanisms will um, present themselves to a language of pain. You know, the body is going to start telling you that, hey, you need to pay attention to me. 
something has to change, whether that be pain signal, whether that be digestive issues, um, insomnia, um, you know, poor metabolism of organs or whatnot. I mean, all of that, those systems work together and they communicate with one another. So why, you know, in my, in my opinion, why wouldn't you work those systems as well? Sure. You know, you've got the musculoskeletal, you've got the organ systems, you also have the neuroendocrine, you know, the hormone systems, all mm. of those systems, they yeah. all communicate together. So... That's fascinating. How did you how did you get into that in the first place? Is that part of physical therapy or? Um, it's not part of physical therapy. Actually, it's advanced training, right. pretty advanced training. I've been working with the Baral Institute um, in training for visceral work for the past four and a half years. And how I got it started with them, or how I found out about visceral work, was my own personal experience with um, swallowing issues. So this was about three years ago, maybe four years ago. I'm sorry. It probably was four years ago. And all of a sudden, I, I started to have very uh, a hard time swallowing. And what would happen is I'd be out with my friends or my, my husband, and we'd go out for a meal. And I'd take my bite, I'd chew, i swallow, and I'd feel like my esophagus, my, my eating tube, just clamps down on that food. So I would feel like I would be choking in the middle of my meal. And then I go into this whole vasovagal response where I start to sweat, the room is spinning, I try to get up, I'm beating my chest like King Kong. It's, <laughs> you know, I don't know what's happening to me. And so the first time it happened, I was scared shitless. Yeah, I was very sure. scared. I, I was, you know, my husband's like, do you want me, you know, do we need to call 911? Yeah. My friends are looking at me. I mean, it was very bizarre. And I, I just thought I just swallowed a big, you know, like you take a big gulp and it has a bunch of air in it or big, too big of a swallow, right? We've had, yeah. all had that yeah. where you're like, oh, it, you know, it kind of was just too big. It, it, it didn't feel like that because it felt like literally I, it took my breath away and I, and I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was choking. Right. I would hiccup and it would go away. So it would be, for me, it would think it lasted like, it felt like eternity, but it wasn't. It probably was, you know, a minute. If, mm. if, if anything. Sure. So I thought nothing of it, and it started to happening more and more and more often to the point where I would literally not want to go out to eat. I stopped, I isolated myself socially. I didn't want to go out because I was afraid that this was going to happen in public, and God forbid, what if I don't get help? And, you know, I'll just croak right there. Susie, did you see anyone for it at this stage, or were you trying to no, self-diagnose? I didn't. It's been a, it was a year. At this point, it's been a year. At, at that point, it was a year already, and I didn't because, you know, I... I tried to avoid hospitals and doctors. Oh my gosh, I know I'm terrible at saying that, but I'm very like, no, I don't want them sticking a tube down my throat because essentially to check for, you know, any dysfunction with swallowing, they'll have to do an um, uh, endoscopy where they kind of go in with, with a tube down your throat to assess for sure. any constrictions or, you know, tight tightness in the esophagus because it's a muscle, of course. And uh, I didn't want to do that. And I, and I just let it kind of keep happening until the point where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to manage this anymore. I mean, I wasn't swallowing pills. I stopped taking vitamins. I was mm. I was scared to swallow mm. because mm. I thought I was it was going to be my time. Um, and then, so I, I backtrack to the story. I got in touch with a pelvic floor therapist in the area to shadow her, and she did this work. And then I was like, hmm, this is very interesting. But I was a very big skeptic, too. I was a skeptic where I'm like, give me the hard science. You know, this who can feel an organ, really? Um, 
And I went for my first class. I signed up. It was the first level class. And I decided to be a demo for the stomach out of all um, demos to be the, the stomach was for me. So I sat up on the plinth table and I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is absolute BS. Like, <laughs> I can't feel anything. He's not doing anything. He's just moving my skin around. And as I'm sitting there staring at the ceiling tile with 50 students looking at me, I start feeling this rush of blood going through my face and I start, my eyes start swelling and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, this is really going to happen. I'm going to cry in front of all these people. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. And I just started bawling, like hysterically crying where I couldn't catch my breath crying. It was intense. It was intense, Sean. It was like, (laughs) what just happened to me? What did you do? Where am I at? (laughs) You know, how embarrassing. I kept apologizing. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's going on. I swear I'm not crazy. And, you know, the instructor, uh, Peter Coppola, is like, and that couldn't have happened at a better time. And that's what a visceral emotional response would be. And I'm like, what? And so as I learned the curriculum and as I obviously I was sold after that day, yeah, I'm not surprised. I, um, I, I just, I, I, I was sold and I honestly, I followed up with several sessions of visceral therapy and, and, you know, I learned more about the vagus nerve, the nerve that is the rest and digest nerve that kind of regulates and kind of wanders through the body and, and facilitates this rest and digest kind of communication to all your organ systems, your heart, right. your lungs, your your stomach, your esophagus, and and that was very irritated on me. And granted, I was under a lot of stress at that time in my life. Right. Lots of stress, lots of anxiety, changing yeah. careers, changing professions. Am I doing the right thing? And the stomach has a lot to do with, you know, yeah. from the emotional aspect of how you, how you present yourself to the world, but how you really view yourself and career and professionalism. So... It kind of made sense in that in that way, and of course, past regressions and childhood crap that happens that builds up over time. You know, all of that stuff, tissue memory, right? You've heard of Whoa. tissue memory. <laughs> <laughs> the brain remembers, the body remembers. Sure, sure. Memory, right? In fact, um, I read a book uh, by um, a really good book on the gut by Dr. Julia Enders, and she describes it as a second brain because of you know the seat of emotions etc etc so i can pretty much uh yeah agree with you there on on that yeah so much stems from there wow and so since then you've you were sold you you've been part of your practice now as well is it I, I correct yeah i use a lot of the visceral work in my uh in my practice and i am also an assistant for the institute so i help others and the teachers and i'm looking to become a teaching apprentice so that i can hopefully teach um the work um, internationally both nationally and internationally so they do have um classes that are all over the world um with this work so oh that's fantastic that's right that must have been a scary time though and since then you've not had any any recurrence <laughs> knock on wood as i knock on my desk right now <laughs> i um no i have not had any episodes or attacks that i like to call them thank god and you know, that doesn't mean that i don't do any self-maintenance of course i i can tell when i'm feeling a little on that edgy side yeah and i'll do my breathing and, and my yoga and i'll be my, more mindful that day and drink plenty of water and so there comes you know you have to be you have to own ownership to your health and and it's a constant maintenance you know it's never a straight line it's always a loop diddy loop 
going over mountains and hills and <laughs> taking detours. You know how that goes. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I've got a few more questions for you. Um, I'm going to bring it round to um, everyday fitness. People who have read a little bit about fitness in a magazine, or they've done some work at the gym, or they've taken on a personal trainer, and uh, we've already mentioned the pel- uh, the whole pelvic floor and the tightening up the abs, etc. But if we go back to we were talking about females and um, post-pregnancy, they're very often attracted to Pilates, and I use certainly I've mentioned that group, but it's not obviously Pilates isn't just for that group, but it really is renowned or as something that works for the pelvic floor. Now, is that something that you'd go and recommend your clients to do or patients to do? Or, or uh, how, what are your thoughts on it, basically? What are your thoughts on Pilates? Do you do Pilates, perhaps? I don't do Pilates myself, but that's not to say that I wouldn't recommend it for others. Hmm. It's a, it, it goes back to understanding the function of the pelvic floor and if the person that is, or the woman that is taking Pilates has any other symptoms or risk factors that might not be conducive to her participating in in an aggressive Pilates program. Now, for the lay person, typically they're in classes, right? So there isn't that one-on-one attention. And it also depends on the instructor and their knowledge of, I mean, their knowledge just beyond like, okay, use your transverse abdominis and pull up your pelvic floor, you know, Um, because most women, when you tell them that, you know, 75% of the time, they don't know what that feels like. They don't know what it feels like to contract their pelvic floor. So, you know, they might be doing again themselves a disservice. Now Pilates also focuses aggressively on the abs, which you talked about. You mentioned the Mm -hmm. abs. When you're doing Pilates moves, from my understanding, it increases a lot of the pressure within the the abdomen, right? So you're doing a lot of like a a crunch and you're adding some sort of dynamic movement. So you're increasing the intra-abdominal pressure um, within the system. Now, what happens to the pelvic floor when that happens repetitively? Pelvic floor muscles guard. They protect. They'll start to tense to oppose the pressure from above. Again, that's their job. They make yeah. sure your organs don't fall out. They make yeah. sure everything stays up there. Yeah. They keep you continent. However, over time, they, it may predispose the, the woman to um, fatiguing of these muscles, over-recruiting these muscles inefficiently, um, holding their breath and bearing down. You know, oftentimes, yeah. like when we're doing sit-ups or crunches, you you know, you've probably seen this yourself, where their people are holding their breath yeah, and the they're no doing no. a bunch yeah. of them. You mm-hmm. know, and then you get a hernia sure. <laughs> or, you know, you hurt yourself. Again, that pressure has to be dispersed somewhere. And it's typically going down south. Um, So if if, if a woman has had a baby recently or they've had a hysterectomy, for example, where the uterus was removed for whatever Mm. reason that may be, the buffer of that organ is no longer there for hysterectomy in pregnancy they just have uh they've had postpartum their muscles are still recovering again they're weak they need to be rehabbed progress progressively and if you add a a repetitive intra-abdominal pressure repetitively that can predispose you to more um 
injury and more harm, for example, very common is pelvic organ prolapse, where it feels like your guts are falling out. Like there's pressure down there, like something is coming out, then that's a problem. And And in that case, I definitely wouldn't recommend Pilates, or I would say definitely seek a physiotherapy therapist who can evaluate you efficiently and then go from there to see what plans might be better for you. I'm not saying that you'll never go back to Pilates, but if you understand a little bit more of how Mm. your body works down there, you might be more um, better off applying some of those same techniques when you are doing some higher level activities such as Pilates. So I think from what you're saying is an instructor that knows what they're doing and uh, can deliver a good quality one-to-one and also if the person attempting pilates as long as they haven't got any significant issues then and they they're fairly progressive uh, then they should be fine also come to think of it pilates isn't just for obviously it, it's favored by females but if done correctly um, it can really help the lower back i've known uh, a few guys go along with say herniated L5 or something and they, and they need to do something um, to strengthen their, it's, they've been told to strengthen their core and their doctor will say do yoga or do Pilates and they may therefore be told that they've got a weak pelvic floor. Is that, again I know this is very much someone walking off the street into an exercise class, is it they're still, is it too generic? Are you still thinking that one-to-one is always better? In in that instance that you described, like for somebody that's saying that they have a weak pelvic floor or they've got low back pain in general, any type of exercise is going to make you feel better. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter what exercise; just get up and move is the prescription. But I I do I am a big fan of having one on one, especially just initially, just so you can get the hang of things. And there are physio or Pilates instructors that are specifically trained within pelvic floor as well, like low back, pelvic floor, hips, they're all connected, so you can't really separate all of them. Um, But they can modify certain activities for you individually based to to your unique needs or um, interests at that time. So, okay. so that's the that's what you can get with a one-on-one person for, mm-hmm. let's say, the first phase of your training. And then once you feel confident enough to apply some of those same techniques to a group setting, then you're more likely to be more compliant and less um, have less of a risk for injury than not having that guidance, I think. I, yeah, you're right. I, I guess it's shopping around. Um, there's going to be good providers, yeah. good instructors. In fact, from memory, there are um, a lot of, Physios over here deliver Pilates classes, actually, but those groups are very small, um, and I, I, you know, understandably so. From Pilates to yoga, talk a little bit about the the poses and the. There's lots of legs wide apart sort of thing, you know, the hip openers. I just wondered um, what your experience or observations are on yoga with that kind of stance and holding in those sort of positions, how that affects down below? That's a great question. I am a huge fan of yoga um, for pelvic floor issues, especially pain. Um, Those positions that you talked about, those leg wide opening positions, Mm. help lengthen the pelvic floor um, Mm. and stretch. So like Mm. malasana or the yogi squat, yeah. Where you, where you go down really deep and your feet are flat and you're kind of like in between your knees in a squat. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's what I use to tell my patients or clients 
um, to do while belly breathing and relaxing. So that area between your sit, you know, your sit bones, that bony part that you sit on, that bony part of your butt, that whole area in between is that's the pelvic floor. So when you're in that position and you're breathing, it helps lengthen the pelvic floor even more for like a relaxation. Um, you, anything that helps to open up the hips, you know, um, hip rotations, um, adductor stretching, you know, when you're doing that, you know, supine or standing or anything like a wide straddle stance, as long as you're paying attention to relaxing the muscles around those areas around the pelvic floor and the hips and the backs, um, that will be very beneficial to relaxing the pelvic floor as well, because you're using the breath to also facilitate, um, relaxation. I see. If I backtrack just a little bit, so to, to summarize, the, the pelvic floor, it, I just remember a few years ago, it was very fashionable here in the UK to just focus on abs and pelvic floor to make it really strong, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. From what you've said, uh, certainly with e- even Pilates and in general fitness classes, you know, it's it's not all about overworking the pelvic floor. It's and say something like yoga. You're just mentioning about as long as you're relaxing while in a certain pose. So, yoga is up there. But what would you say are your favorite exercises for the pelvic floor? Um, it, is it in terms of strengthening or? In general, for for pelvic floor health, for strengthening as in if they're weak and they need to be working at optimum function as opposed to strengthening as in like hypertrophy, that, that, you know, going the opposite direction, which is therefore overworking from what I've understood you to say. Right. Yeah. So when you're working really, really hard, so like you know, when you mentioned the abs and the core working out and doing the pelvic floor exercises and, you know, not to digress, but there's a woman that actually does vaginal weightlifting. (laughs) (laughs) I kid you not. There is a woman that will lift some dumbbells with her vagina. You're joking. Overkill. No, I'm not. If you type it in, vaginal weightlifting or vaginal weightlifter. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to type that in really (laughs) on my search engine, to be honest with you. It is out there. I think it's a little overkill in that sense. Um, In general, those (laughs) muscles are working anyway to sustain um, continence for stability and for support throughout the day. So overworking them or trying to work them without cause, I think, (laughs) could maybe potentially do more harm than good. Again, not knowing if those muscles are overly tight or tense. For example, I always like to use the biceps analogy, but if you have a tight bicep and you're always rocking around with like, you know, a bicep, you know, Popeye muscle popping out kind of thing, you're always contracting your bicep. Yeah. And you, at the end of the day, you want to go, let's say with lift some weights, but you've been contracting this muscle all day. I don't know how efficient or how much weight you're going to be able to lift at all if you can't even stretch it to get it to lift the weight you see what i'm saying so you have to have enough or sufficient um muscle length and relaxation in order to get a very strong and efficient contraction so it has to work both ways you have to relax the muscle and you have to contract the muscle you can't just keep it contracted and walk around like many people think that they should be sucking in their abdomen all day you know 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. Which uh, you, you'd pick up a magazine, it would say, oh, while you're at the bus stop, you know, be holding in and your transverse abdominus while you're washing the dishes, be sucking in from Uranus, etc., and pulling everything in tight. But uh, I guess this is maybe these are introduction exercises for those with incontinence or or not, perhaps. Because you can have incontinence, but you can have shortened muscles as well. So okay. tight. Spastic muscles or overly tightened, tense muscles can also be weak. Right. You can also have the opposite where they're loosey-goosey muscles. Right. I oftentimes see the opposite. I oftentimes see an over-recruited pelvic floor where I have to downtrain so that those muscles efficiently learn to coordinate with functional activities such as laughing, jumping, coughing, sneezing to prevent incontinence. Because if it's short already wow. and you go to cough... There's no more give. Wow. It's a bit of an education, actually, for me. Thank you, Susie. It's, uh... <laughs> I wish it was much easier. I know that this is just like in a nutshell, but um, I think just being aware, and I think that if the listeners and other health providers are aware that these muscles do do a whole heck of a lot, and there could be opposite issues going on, not just always a weakness, an yeah. issue when you're having incontinence, type symptoms okay okay um I, I, I do want to stick with that point but I, before I, I forget just exactly how do you do vaginal weightlifting um I'm just... <laughs> so they, i think she uses a she inserts a cone that a, a cone into the vagina so, so so a little tiny cone that's you know, I don't know, a kilogram in weight or something. And kilo? She, or not kilo, wait, what's that? <laughs> two pounds, never mind. Very small, minuscule. Okay, right. It's like little, um, just a little probe, what have you, like something that shows, like a tampon almost. Oh, right? okay, right, right. But, but like made out of something obviously more heavier than a tampon. Sure. Okay, <laughs> so, right. so insert a string at the end of that and have a weight hanging out at the bottom. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, if you if you Google it, she'll it'll they describe the way she does it. Wow. That's not to say that us therapists don't use vaginal weights. I mean, but they're very, 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 very tiny in terms of actual strengthening or even for feedback like squeeze around this and let go just so you can get a sense of uh, what you're doing okay okay yeah. right i've never never come across that okay <laughs> right um yeah uh let's pause there because i've lost my train of thought for a second okay yeah so at the other end of the spectrum so to speak um we did we did mention we did talk about athletes and uh, I've heard you say that even they can suffer from leaky, well, leaky bottoms, leaky bladders, some uh, some form of incontinence. Is is this something entirely different, or is it again still related to uh, too much pressure uh, going on with the pelvic floor? You're right on. It's it's that it's too much pressure, overworked, high stress. You know, athletes that are under pressure of performing are tense, right? They have stress, they have anxiety, depending on the age group and depending if it's a man or well, actually more women actually have this, not men who are athletes, but women, uh, what part of, uh, puberty are they, you know, um, oh, okay. yeah. what's their menstrual cycle like? What are their hormones? A lot of them do have uh, dysregular periods or 
amen, they don't even have a period. And that can predispose them to a whole slew of things that we won't get into. But um, those all impact the tissue health, muscle tissue health in general. And, And we're dealing with muscle, skeletal muscle. So they're going to be impacted in the same way. So for them, oftentimes, I'm, in my opinion, it's an over-recruitment of those muscles, too much working, 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 and not relaxing. And how often are they really paying attention to, well, what is my pelvic floor doing? You yeah, know, sure. they're not, they're, they're, most people are not even aware 99% of the time of what these muscles are. And for a reason, obviously, social stigma and taboos and cultural taboos or religious views, you know, some yeah. of that gets numbed or out of the equation. Uh, that whole area is going to be significantly works with weightlifting, especially heavy weights. If we if we stick with weights first, I was going to ask you about running. I was going to presume that running is as long as there's no significant issues is is going to be a, a simpler way of strengthening holistically the whole body. Really, you know, all the way up. But let's let's stick with weights actually. I'm well aware. Oh yeah, I introduced you to uh, <laughs> um, the straining that can p- predispose people to hemorrhoids, or known as Farmer Giles. <laughs> Farmer Giles. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yes, when you told me that, I was like, Farmer Giles. <laughs> I love that term. A little bit of rhyming slang there, rhyming for piles. <laughs> but uh, no, seriously though, that um, pushing too much on the squat rack, on the leg press, or or just lifting too heavy you know what what what's your take on that or do you have many casualties walk through your into your surgery what's the score there oh hemorrhoids so where do i begin no in general yes heavy lifting what's causing that is the heavy not the heavy lifting per se but their mechanics of holding their breath oh they're 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 doing a valsalva which is a a Mm. holding of breath with overexertion so you're you're bearing down and you're pushing and you're plowing through it and again things pressure moves in the direction of the least re- resistance and you have holes down there so everything's going to want to go down there yeah. <laughs> and ultimately that creates an abnormal pressure system and you, the, there's a lot of vasculature that is surrounded by the anus and the anal canal in general, the pelvic organs and your gut, as we talked about, yeah. but you can have a prolapsed vein. Essentially that's what a hemorrhoid is, is a yeah. vein that's, that's prolapsed or popped out due to pressure, sure. due to pressure, poor pressure. And that, again, lots of things can contribute to that. What are your breathing mechanics, yeah. posture? Are you Nutrition, sitting, for, yeah. I'm sitting, yeah, sitting for a long time now, you know, in our age now, everything's, electronic and lots of desk jobs and stuff like that and evolutionarily evolutionarily we weren't meant we're not creatures to be sitting and stagnant in one space for a prolonged period of time we're meant to be running and walking and gathering our food and running away from predators you know so um that also changes the way our body is functioning and not to mention constipation is a huge one for hemorrhoids. Huge. Yeah. If you're constipated, what do you tend to do when you're on the toilet? You're hulking it until you're green to get that. <laughs> turned out, you know. Yeah. Sure. You're like, okay, let's do it. <gasps> you know, and it's, it's that type of pressure and that repetitive. It's not just once or twice. I mean, I don't want your listeners to get the idea that oh, if I hold my breath, the world's gonna end. I'm gonna have a hemorrhoid or my organs are gonna fall out. No, it's <laughs> over time. It's chronic. It's repetitive stress and strain. And that can do a number on, on, on you. And 
yeah. and the hemorrhoids. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, let's let's um, tail that back to something you said, which is is pivotal. It's really important. The the desk jobs, the the sitting for practically eight hours of the day. Okay, yeah, sure, you'll get up for lunch, etc. But um, sat at a desk for a long period of time. Um, do you do you find a lot of your does this pre no do you have a lot of clients coming from that background? Um, you know, I've got I've just gone and talked about athletes and uh, and 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 before that we were looking at uh, pregnant. Uh, women who have just given birth, etc., and, you know, issues there, and maybe incontinence. But what about just the average Joe who may have a nine-to-five sat at a desk all day? Um, uh-huh. Anything that comes out or anything that, that, that they can do? Um, well, yeah, I do get a lot of the average Joes um, that do have hemorrhoids and have constipation-related issues, um, but they might not even know about it early on as well. And, sure. and a lot of these average Joes have had a history of constipation as a kid, too. Right. So this stems from, you know, how early were they potty trained? What is their diet like? <laughs> right. What is their fluid intake like? The sure. best advice I can give is really take breaks. I think there's a research article that says for every 52 minutes worked, you should take a 17-minute break, and that will increase your productivity and efficiency at work. Wow, right. So, you know, taking frequent breaks, going out for a walk, don't eat your lunch at the desk, go Mm. somewhere, um, take a deep, you know, breathe throughout the day, you know, recognizing that, and and when you're at work, I know this might be like the scariest thing for someone, but going to the bathroom when you're at work, like doing number two, it's like unheard of at work, but... (laughs) If you gotta yeah. go, you gotta, gotta go. go. And yeah, the more sure. you suppress that urge, the the more likely you're gonna have constipation related issues because okay. you're offsetting that urge way too many times and that, that's a reflex and that's mm. going to become a habit. Right. So you know, um, eating a high fibrous diet, plenty, plenty of fluids, fluids, etc. Yeah. Yeah. And the way you sit on the toilet makes a difference too. So, you know, giving it, the colon actually has to it's funny that we're made that way, but the colon has to kind of have like a, a 90 degree bend in it to keep you continent, obviously, when you're standing up. And the muscles, the pelvic floor muscles actually sling around the rectum yeah. to keep you to keep you continent when you're standing and erect. When we're sitting on, on our on toilets and today toilets are made, you know, so tall because they're comfort seat toilets. You know, everything's yeah. really tall. Go big or go home. And you're sitting more erect. Well, what happens is now those muscles aren't really being put on slack or they're not relaxing enough so that angle that the the, that the poop has to go through is it's not straight anymore now it's got that bend in it so it's really hard to kind of push things through with a kink like think about a kink in a hose a water hose right yeah yeah you kink it the water pressure is going to be a lot low almost nothing <laughs> I have, I have, I have heard about, I have heard about this actually, and certainly on the continent, so I think the French have, yeah, the, and in Europe, there's a lot of standing loos as opposed to the the toilet seat, the standard toilet seat that we have. And I, what I'm really mentioning is that that angle that you mention is is the incorrect angle. It should we should either be kind of have our feet on on top of the seat as well and be slightly tilted back. So I have heard that. But 
it's interesting what you said about uh, that for, as I say, average Joe, but office worker, you know, every the everyday person. But I was thinking more of just the eight hours, not just the effect on constipation and hemorrhoids, but just on the the on pelvic health in general. Um, is are there any other issues that folk need to consider, or is it pretty much just get up and st keep moving and and as simple as make sure you don't hold, you know, hold it all in and make sure you go when you need to go. Yes, I would I would say so. I mean, when you're sitting, functionally, you're on your sit bones. If you're in correct posture, the pelvic floor muscles should stretch. So, so from one sit bone to one sit bone, when you sit, those pelvic muscles stretch. Now, again, if you're having, you, you know, you're not liking your boss at work, you're high strung, you've got lots of anxiety, you're working on projects, lots of pressure. What happens to your body when you're in anxiety or stress in that type of mode? You're in fight or flight. And what happens to your muscles? We've all been there. It yeah. tense up. Yeah. And you're crouched and your posture gets, you know, you're slumping forward, you're knee deep in your laptop. And so posturally, your, your whole body's affected. And that's affecting fluid flow, lymphatic flow, you know, you're in, in, and also there's this bioenergetic component as well. Like when your sternum and your whole body is in this like slouched posture, it tends to affect your mood. You know, it's like this guarded, angry posture almost, you know, because when you're happy, you're not slumped over, hunched over like Quasimodo, right? You're, yeah. Your shoulders are broad, you're tall, you're sitting up taller, you're using, you know, you're open. So I think of it dynamically like that. I think in general, you know, s sitting for eight hours straight or, or not getting any exercise in in your day at all, mm. it will predispose you not only to pelvic floor dysfunction, but to a whole other slew of things like cardiovascular disease, you know? So it's, it's you know, living a sedentary lifestyle, which I think sedentary in general is just sitting and not moving and doing anything is going to create dysfunction in your body. Okay. Okay. There's so many different sports and exercises I was going to ask you, but one that springs to mind is, is regular swimming. That's another whole body, um, low impact, um, exercise. And, um, and actually this leads me into infection and changing of pH because the, I like to use the jacuzzi a lot. I like to use the steam room a lot. And I, I did read that there's a possibility of bacterial of infection if you you know with the, the the change in ph this that and the other um what's your any experience with that or yeah well bacteria like warm moist places <laughs> so anywhere they can hide out is a, is a party for them but i you know in the short term i think that's okay you know yeah. to be in those in those obviously jacuzzi and a sauna and a steam room and pools but if you're going to be wearing your clothes for like especially for women if you're wearing them for a prolonged period of time and they're wet that can alter the ph of the vagina and i think the the normal ph of the vagina should be anywhere from 3.5 to 4.5 i think so mm -hmm. You know, the, chlor the the pool has its own bacteria, uh, the chlorine, the chemicals, depending on where you're at, um, that could potentially be uh, a breeding ground for bacteria that's in your suit and it contacts the skin. So 
there's a there's a possibility of that altering your normal pH, and especially if, if you're a woman and you're prone to getting frequent urinary tract infections or um, yeast infections or bacterial infections in general. Wow. That's one of the things I would say to very, uh, to avoid entirely, and you know when you're working out too, you know sweating, all of that bacteria it just stays there. Yeah. So you don't want you don't want an over colonization of that bacteria. Um, anyway, so right. just, you know, smart, common sense hygiene, you know, when you're done, take off the wet clothes, put on some fresh cotton, mm-hmm. cotton underwear, or no underwear, whatever you want, <laughs> whatever you want to do, <laughs> it's fine with me. Freestyle it. No, basically good hygiene, really. Okay. Right. Okay. But if we, I scroll back to talking about swimming, swimming, uh, again, that gets the thumbs up for for strengthening that area would that again be in one of your top uh, mm-hmm. I love swimming yep mm-hmm. swimming is great yeah the the temperature of the water the activity it's a whole body activity works your cardiovascular system muscular system mm-hmm. flexibility you can do so much in the pool okay. so yeah so we've identified yoga and say swimming as good for for pelvic health uh, yeah, pelvic health. I was, I, I'm, I'm tempted not to say pelvic strength anymore, given. <laughs> <laughs> but keep working at its optimum. All right. So I've meant, we mentioned some ailments there. Let's stick with that. And uh, I know you've covered this stuff, uh, like endometriosis, uh, uh-huh. in one of your newsletters, and uh, that also caught my eye because my sister has struggled uh, for years with it. Um, I don't think every many. Not everyone's heard of it. Perhaps you might be able to shed a bit more light on your experience with endometriosis. Sure. Um, so endometriosis is a condition where the uterine, the tissue of the uterus inside the uterus proliferates or goes to other parts of the body and doesn't stay within the uterus. So the problem with that is these endometrial tissues, They when you have your period, those tissues also bleed. I've had some women that had them around their liver, around their stomach, and their intestines. So you can see how that could wreak havoc for a woman during their, their menses. And that creates adhesions, inflammation, recurring, you know, every mm. every cycle. And a lot of pelvic pain, bloating, mm. you know, the endo bellies is complained about a lot. Um so that's that's endometriosis. And there's also a condition called adenomyosis, where the endometrial lining is um, the, the these endometrial tissues are stuck within the the wall of the uterus or the muscle of the uterus itself. So it's for both, they're not an ideal uh, situation, obviously, and they can create a lot of pain. Um, the theory, there's a lot of theories behind endometriosis and none have been proven. It's one of these conditions that they're still looking to see what is causing it or if there's any genetic factors or anything like that. But one that I'm interested in learning more about actually is this concept of reverse menstruation where there's a, there's in a nutshell, what they're saying is that between the ovary, the fallopian tube and the ovary, there's a little space that opens up into the abdominal cavity, or it's like a portal, a little tunnel that has communication between the pelvic cavity and the abdominal cavity. And that's what they're saying that might cause these endometrial tissues to to migrate out of. That's how they end up in the abdomen. Again, not proven, but for me, kind of makes sense being a visceral practitioner. 
um, and the anatomy, that makes sense to me. Right, right, right. Ladies hitting menopause, a large client group for you, uh, I'd imagine, and any reassurance for those having a rough time uh, that you might be able to help with? Uh, menopause, I don't, I see a lot of patients with pelvic pain, so menopause, although some with menopause also have pelvic pain, I don't see many uh, women that are menopausal, however, I have treated, I have treated a good few in my, in my practice, and typically what I see is vaginal dryness and pain with intercourse. Right. The tissue, yeah, because the, the lack of estrogen and the hormone imbalance is impacting the, the health of the vaginal tissues themselves. So they end up becoming uh, atrophied and um, sensitive and maybe a, a bit frail. So intercourse could be, uh, is well, it's, very, it's not too common, but it can be a concern for some women in, in menopause. Okay, okay. Also, uh, another topic that you could say I draw a blank on is hysterectomies, hernias. Uh, well, hernia, hernias, yeah, I do know a little bit more about those, but those two groups of people, these wounded, walking wounded, I take it they come into the clinic as well? They do, yeah, they do. Um, hysterectomies is when, when they surgically remove the uterus, so forever, for whatever reason, I know they're not doing it as common now. Uh, they used to do that just, you know, for pain, pelvic pain, thinking it would eliminate pain uh, um, and for abnormal bleeding, uh, which is silly and might and what I think is silly, actually. But they're not doing that as often now unless it's life threatening, I would hope. Um, but there's always horror stories that you hear. Um the pelvic floor, of course, any type of surgical intervention, so hysterectomy, whether that they do it intravaginally or through the abdomen or um, suprapubically, right above the pubic bone, you want to work your scar, rehab the muscles, prevention, obviously not holding your breath because you don't have that buffer of the uterus like sure. we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So you definitely want to do um, weightlifting restrictions and just again an overall rehab of the new the new you now with with after the surgery. Okay, um, actually let's let's talk food if if possible. I know that um, everything impacts on one system, as you mentioned earlier, and nutrition so so important. Is it all about just drinking more water? Uh, and having more fiber from your point of view i mean i know there's more to it but what what's your yeah. take on it well <laughs> it's a little out of my scope of practice a little bit i mean as a as a health and wellness coach and you know public force specialist i do know you know some things about that diet fads in general for for me i don't i don't recommend them it's basically eat real food yeah. lay off of the processed sugars you know, things sure. that come in a box, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> fast food, um, the ketone diet I've read, there has been literature to support that I can help with fertility, infertility or fertility in men. So, okay. you know, mm. when it comes to strong swimmers, a ketone diet might be really good. A Mediterranean diet is actually also very good when yeah. it comes to um, persistent pain, um, and also um, cardiovascular health in general. So, you know, lots of veggies, whole grains, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot of the starchy white stuff, you know, yeah, yeah. white breads and all of that and soda, you know, limit your sugar, your sugar intake as it's pro inflammatory, you know, sugar creates inflammation in the body and, and does a number on, on all of your systems. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm a definite fan of just keeping it simple, keeping mm-hmm. it real, go back to the basics, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Well, the reason I meant another reason of mentioning that, uh, have you had any, shall we say, casualties from experimenting with these diets and it really playing havoc with, you know, uh, with their poo? Yeah. Any issues there? I would say the most common would be a high protein diet because protein, the high, really, really high protein diet might make it hard to go. Right. And, it's, and it's really hard to, for your your gallbladder and your liver to process really high, high protein. Usually, even though it's good fat, it's it's healthy fat. Lots of that's hard to process. I think. Sure. So sure. so that might be might be hard. Or if they're not breaking down their protein or their fats appropriately, they'll have floaters like floating poop. Yeah. Right. Yeah, which is not mm. typically a good sign. Right. Right. Okay. That's to the extent of my knowledge. That's all I I, I know. Nothing c- catastrophic. So no, no significant bladder. It, it doesn't go towards the the incontinence or the the you know bladder issues or urinary tract issues that that have you found. You've not managed to make a ha- or had. What I'm trying to say is you've not had anyone come through the door who've ruined their body by following these regimes. To, to an not extreme. particularly. There okay. are some foods that might irritate the bladder, like caffeine, spicy foods, tomatoes, mm-hmm. um, again, sugar. All of those things and alcohol certainly creates a more irritating environment for the bladder and the urethra, um, and also your your colon, your digestive system. Uh, you know, in terms of urinary urgency and frequency, incontinence. Certainly, foods can play a role in terms of what the functioning of these organs are um, and, and what you're eliminating. So that's that's what I commonly see. Okay, okay. Which probably leads us on to sex then, uh, talking a little bit more about, um, or actually get started on that. <laughs> What's that song? Let's talk about sex. <laughs> I can't remember who, oh, who was that? that was salt and pepper. Salt that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Salt and pepper. Uh, no, I was going to ask more about food, but uh, it's pretty much. It sounds like just eating a, a sen- eating sensibly, eating clean, yeah. or not necessarily using that buzzword of clean eating, but uh, green eating, yeah. natural, Eat real, yeah. real, real food. food. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, but before sex, um, just farting. We've mentioned fanny farts right at the start, but just general, you know, flutulence, and uh, we've got to look at the colon. So any, <laughs> I, uh, hey, I wish my husband were here. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> Talk about flatulence. <laughs> I, d- I did hear one of your po- one of your podcasts with. Um, the guys we mentioned earlier, I forget their guys, um, that you do an inspection by placing your finger up the rectum. Yep, up their bum. Yes, yep. that's how you palpate those muscles for men, for uh, the pelvic floor muscles and um, how well those muscles are functioning. Because we talked earlier, you know, those muscles do, they not only keep you continent, but they also aid in defecation. 
So when you're pooping, if you're not relaxing your muscles down there, or you might be reflexively tightening, it's going to make it, make pooping really hard. So that's why I, I inspect and also take care of any trigger points or tender points, especially in cases of persistent pelvic pain. But yeah, it's it's knowing how these muscles coordinate and function. Um, but flatulence, it's totally normal. Um, if they're really smelly, uh, it might be with your diet. Um, it's that's not typically common. They, you can have lots of gas, but it shouldn't be really really smelly. Like someone just <laughs> set off a stink bomb, you know, <laughs> constantly. Granted, that changes what you're eating, right, and drinking. But typically, I mean, better. That's what Shrek said, so... <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. We're breaking up a little bit. Hold on. Okay, Susie, sex. It brings us seamlessly back to fanny farts. What are they? What You know, what is it just post-worked, shall we say, expressive fanny? Uh, or what, what's, what's the deal with those? What, what should be going on? What do I need to know <laughs> about fanny farts? Are we talking about farts in general? Oh, <laughs> that was my ten. That was my tenuous link from uh, you know from trumping, so to speak, or you know natural <laughs> nat- natural gas yeah. from one side to uh, fanny farts. Um, Love it, but it's yeah, totally good. Yeah. Farting is healthy, is, and I think I mentioned that you know Shrek once said, "Better out than than in," but um, you know onions, garlic. Certain foods can make you a little bit gassy or more bloated, and that varies from person to person, honestly. Hold on, uh, uh, we're, fa- we're talking about fanny farts here now, as in uh, garlic and and. Ba- <laughs> Maybe I'm misunderstanding the question. <laughs> <laughs> right. Back to fanny farts, which I think we've established that fanny means one thing here as opposed <laughs> to in the States. When I think fanny, I think of your derriere, your butt. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. Okie dokie. Okie dokie. But um, yeah, maybe you can shed some light on air that comes from the front as opposed to the back. Um, uh, so um, vaginal fart, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a queef. It, it's called you in the states. We call it a queef. Oh, but that sounds yeah. much nicer, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is. It's 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 normal. It could be normal. Um, it's probably annoying more than anything for some women. Doesn't always happen during sex. Is completely normal. You obviously have air. Yeah. that's being pushed up a hole. Yeah. Um, so it's normal for it to come out. So it's completely normal. Um, and when you're exercising or during yoga, if, if it happens, I've had some women very rare complain about it happening during a certain yoga pose. It makes me wonder if they're tightening and, and just sucking up air and then releasing as they're relaxing into the pose. So okay. I kind of go into strategies <laughs> on how to coordinate their pelvic floor so that does that, that doesn't happen especially in yoga i mean how embarrassing would that be everything's so quiet and dead and all of a sudden you hear you know a fart that's not really a fart <laughs> <laughs> and, you know yeah sure 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 okay all right if we stick with um that area then I, I, actually i'm also conscious i haven't really um if i backtrack guys guys and pelvic floor Guys and pelvic health, 
three things that you'd recommend they need to consider just look after themselves or, or certainly more than that the number one thing i'd say if there's anything that is out of the ordinary or weird not to be shy or ashamed to talk about it or get help for it right especially when you're dealing with um, erectile dysfunction premature ejaculation or pain in general yeah i think that anxiety will play a big role in terms of men in pelvic floor dysfunction in fact that's what my new you know website and my new niche is going towards is pen and men in pelvic floor dysfunction but don't be afraid to ask for help. It's not a, such a taboo topic. We can nip it in the butt literally the sooner that you get the quality care that you need. Um, and and when you do have pain down there, it's not abnormal to have sexual dysfunction with it, meaning you know your erection's not, not as strong as it was, libido is kind of down, those sorts of things mm. also come with any type of pain down there. Sure. Naturally. Stress, and then the more stress, and then it compounds, etc., etc. Okay, okay, right. So that for guys, those are the the top tips. Certainly, don't uh, don't ignore it. Go and seek help, and speak to someone such as yourself. Okay, okay. All right then. Well, sticking with sex, are there any recommended positions then that, uh, or (laughs) what would you suggest? I'd say whatever floats your boat. Honestly, be creative. <laughs> if you want to be creative, by all means, go for it. I've I've heard. I'm pr- pretty sure not everything, but I've heard a lot of things. And you know, um, as long as it's pain free, yeah. and you both are safe, and I don't see why not. So explore away, and that that definitely depends on on a person to person basis. Now, if you go, if if a woman has pelvic pain or you've had a hip replacement, well then you'll have, you know, some expert advice or specialist helping you in terms of, well, honestly, and this might be digress, but there was an MRI, an open MRI study done in Europe that assessed couples having sex right. in various positions and what those positions stimulated or what those positions helped to diminish. Or, you know, for example, I've got pelvic pain or I just had a hip replacement. This, this, and this position is good. So they've oh, got, wow. they've got a, a handout, yes, that I, I typically give to my clients if they have, you know, something that is limiting them from sexual function. So we can get them back to sexual function without recreating symptoms. So there is a <laughs> handout that does give you sexual positions, but more for a therapeutic standpoint. Now, if you're talking about the average Joe and they're just exploring and, and being frisky and having fun, well, then whatever position floats your boat. Sure. I think there's a 365 positions in every way, every day book. <laughs> By all means, go for it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But walking through your walking through your clinic door, I take it you must uh, see you're dealing with sexual dysfunction daily, or or not? Daily, yes. Okay. Daily. Yes. Uh, what are the issues there? Or, or what, what are the common 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 issues, perhaps? Common issues. For women, it would be pain during or after intercourse or both. Okay. Um, yeah, libido, so stimulation would be low libido. And for men, it would be pelvic pain. So p- tip of the penis pain, um, prostate pain, or pain in, in their pelvis or between their sit bones. They also can have groin pain. I get a lot of men that have groin pain that is referred from the pelvic floor. Wow. Okay. 
So that's what I commonly um, see in the clinic. Wow, wow, wow. Pain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they must be thankful for you uh, relieving them of their pain, no doubt, no doubt. Okay, what about, um, I've got some quick fire questions here, like uh, what about toys and um, like the legendary rabbit apparently? <laughs> <laughs> Not that I've used one, but... Useful for keeping, uh, keeping things going and the flues clear, so to speak? In general, orgasm is good, whether it's clitoral or vaginal, orgasm is good. So um, it flushes out. It's a sump pump down there. You know, flush right. out the cobwebs, keeps things kind of functioning. Your, sex in general helps to maintain good, optimal function of the pelvic floor. Right. Again, if everything's working right yeah. and feeling right. And using toys is certainly more than welcome to explore one's sexuality. And if in fact, if women are having difficulty sustain or getting an orgasm, I would definitely recommend getting toys to assist with that and creating more intimacy and fun in the bedroom for that. Uh, on a more side note here, I did get my very first water slide. There is a toy that attaches to your tub faucet for women. It's, it's, a, it's a just a little like... Um, like a like a extender for your faucet in the tub that angles just right to hit your <laughs> private area. I haven't used it yet. <laughs> it just arrived today, but it's called the water slide. S L Y D E. Okay. And it's something new that was brought to my attention actually through Instagram. Somebody reached wow. out to me and asked if I wanted to try out their product. I said, sure, why not? So, <laughs> so we we're talking a brand new product here. Yes, I've never heard of it. Yes, but it's it's just using water, and it's great for hygiene too. Just water, yeah, extender, <laughs> <laughs> and you're having fun at the same time. So excellent, excellent. Well, uh, yeah, remember where I heard it first. Wow, I take it you encounter those who have perhaps too been too vigorous um, with uh, anal sex, I'd imagine, uh, oh, or, yes. or, or just vigorous in general. Are there any horror stories or? You know, they're in general, anything that's too rigorous, that doesn't feel good in the bedroom, or it's it's maybe at times it's uncomfortable, but you keep going kind of thing, that can create some problems. You know, those muscles will react. Again, if anyone's going to come up to you and try to hit you with a bat, what are you going to do? You're going to guard down, scour, and protect yourself. Yeah. The same thing with these muscles. They're going to clamp, they're going to tense, and then it becomes more of this learned habit. You know, tension in the pelvic floor. And the more tension you have, the more um, stress and strain you're going to have through there. You know, it's going to affect the organs, the blood vessels, the nerves. So it depends. Not any specific trauma other than having objects stuck up the rectum or in the colon because, well, they wanted to experiment. <laughs> and they had to get that surgically. I mean, they had yeah. to go to the ER, obviously. But I've, seen, I've seen images of eggplant. I kid you not, eggplants. Um, cucumbers. My food has been very, you know, on a top list to play with, I guess. So, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> must have been rather entertaining. Um, I mean, obviously, we're focusing don't, on the. Don't <laughs> I mean, always, we're focusing on the physical, um, and there's more to sex than just rutting like warthogs, right. you know, uh, play, you know, loving intimacy. 
you, you must have experienced and heard many stories, um, any tales of reassurance or tales of precaution? I would say number one is open communication and feeling safe with touch, um, depending on what what background that person is coming from. You don't know if there has been a trauma or sexual abuse or emotional abuse. So yeah. if you need help in that area in terms of reconnecting, and even if you've had pelvic pain that's that oftentimes impacts relationships, I think sexual uh, sexual therapist or a psychologist that works with persons who have pelvic pain or dysfunction is a good thing to seek out. And I oftentimes do do, do that and refer out many of my clients to get help um, with the psychosexual aspect of things because that's very important you have to and and again it's not only just wham bam thank you ma'am in in terms (laughs) of activity but how to feel safe and how to explore without feeling in danger and 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 actually enjoying yourself because it's a it's a it's a it's a physiological function to have pleasure and have sex and be able to experience that as everyone's right so Okay. Right. Okay. Well, last little bit on that then. Um, I've literally got a couple more questions left. For the guys, I think you've covered it, but I, I wrote, I've written down here, any tips for, Miss, you know, the Mr. Bean, nothing wrong with Mr. Bean, but anything, any tips for, you heard of Mr. Bean? You yes, know? I yeah. love Mr. Bean. Okay. <laughs> I used to watch it all the time. Well, any, any tips for premature ejaculation? You've heard, we've heard of Sting and his tantric... Um, Mm-hmm. Marathons, uh, etc. Viagra is—is is this something for the likes of Mr. Bean? And well, yeah, I'm, I'm mixing it all up here. Let's start with Mr. Bean. He's—he's he's our man. Premature ejaculation. Bean. Doctor, how can you help me? <laughs> so the so we talk about these muscles down there. They do aid in sexual appreciation and. Of course, orgasm, getting a hard on, and ejaculation. So if we can work on pelvic floor function to either strengthen these muscles and or downtrain and uptrain, right, Mm -hmm. and to create, um, giving you tips and tricks on how to um, sustain or, how to say, inhibit pre-ejaculation, it's more of a let's relax those muscles. And again, with premature ejaculation, it has been correlated with psychosexual. There's a psychosexual component as well. Yes, So you want to make sure you're addressing the the emotional and psychological aspect of those that are experiencing premature ejaculation. But literature has not been super strong with physical therapy or physiotherapy addressing uh, men who have premature ejaculation, although there is literature to support it, not great in numbers, though. Okay. So the sample sizes have are, are small, you yeah, know, small. The, the sample sizes that they test, um, our outcomes are small. So that's not to say that it's not a conservative treatment option, which I would definitely recommend first before trying any more invasive sure. option sure. out there. Okay, okay. Or would uh, someone in that position find themselves popping Viagra or, or, or over-the-counter drugs? Is that anything you'd recommend? Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's your manhood, you know, when it comes yeah. to Mr. B. It's your manhood. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if desperate times call for desperate measures. Sure, sure. sure. And especially if the options are not given to you offhand you know they might think that that's you know they'll go to a practitioner and they'll here take this yeah well 
it's not just a find it, fix it kind of thing, because now you've got, you know, again, we talk about the whole person and looking at the whole person when you're treating them uh, to get the best outcome and not just masking it with a Band-Aid. Because all those medications have side effects. You know? Exactly. It is a Band-Aid, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. What about the, the likes of uh, the Marathon Man, Magic Mike, or not, not, I've not... I've not even seen Magic Mike, so I don't know if I'm talking about the right guy here. Uh, but certainly Sting and the ta the whole tantric, is, mm -hmm. is that related to the pelvic floor then? Sort of um, control for hours on end? Well, I don't know if it's hours on end, but uh, for certainly longer than Mr. Bean anyway. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. I, you know, Honestly, it is possible. And they do use tantric type of therapeutic approaches to premature ejaculation okay. so so it's it's all about ha having uh, feeling the sensation and pleasure and and having an erection now it might not be super hard because you're you're you don't want to be there because you want to last longer yeah um so it's about it's really a mental, I would say maybe 90% mental in terms of being mindful, practicing mindfulness, a form of meditation, and really being in tune with what you're feeling during the moment and, and being in control. And that takes practice, as you might guess. Yeah. <laughs> that takes a lot of practice, <laughs> a lot of control, yeah. but not impossible, not impossible for sure. And I know a lot of the sexual therapists out there do work on things like this so do you work along uh, alongside them often do you find yourself working yes. alongside yeah yes uh, we we refer to each other or again not everyone needs you know their relationship might be very strong and they're really good with their intimacy in other ways and they get support from one, one another but oftentimes you get the opposite where the, the the partner doesn't understand and gets frustrated and or starts thinking that there's something wrong with them so, so the, the the whole relationship starts to kind of dwindle or get out of control, and they might not even know those. That's what might be causing it, you know, because it, it may have started that way but unraveled. Right. Okay. Well, we've pretty much come to the end. I, I've. Susie, I really appreciate your time. I can see your dog's um, yeah. <laughs> wants a walk. Finally, top tips for everyday pelvic health what what are you gonna tell the listeners really top tips for pelvic health definitely drink plenty of water make sure you're not constipated if there's anything going on down there know what your options are seek help because we can definitely help have sex yeah it's good having orgasms is great for your pelvic floor um and don't be shy to talk about your dangly bits or your vajayjays, or your yuhus, whatever you want to call it. Don't be shy. There's, you're not alone, and we all have those burning desires. Same questions. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, Susie, thank you so much. Look, how can people contact you? Um, any plans or time for online consultations? Do you do that? You know, I do. So. Yes, yes, I do. I um, right now I'm I'm moving to Asheville, North Carolina, from Illinois. So there's a huge transition going on there. But mm. I'm taking the practice virtual. I'm setting up my website to have the option of having consultations, um, oh, and also a little if they want a, a program to do hands-on work and guidance. Of course, that would depend on your location. But no, I'm definitely open to consultations via email. I'm on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. 
So I love hearing from, from people and what questions they have or concerns because I oftentimes use those as fire for my blog posts. Sure. And I do the research and answer it there or, or on a live video or a vlog or something like that. So I love hearing from people and, and uh, getting the word out there. That's all. Oh, that's brilliant. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Once again, Susie, thanks for your time. I'll include all the details in show notes of how to contact you your, and your Instagram link. Um, they can get you on Twitter at, at Dr. Susie G. That's S-U-S-I-E-G. Uh, pretty much the same as Instagram, yeah? At Instagram, I think has a dot in it, like Dr. Dot, because somebody took the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got a Dr. Dot Susie G, yes. Oh, I'll, def I'll definitely put um, everything up. Oh. Uh, but at the very, at the very, very least, uh, www.drsusieg.com. And, uh, Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and you've been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. Thanks again, Susie. Cheers. Many thanks to my guest, and of course, many thanks to you guys for listening in. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to go to www.seannewton.co.uk for a full index of everything that we talked about in the podcast. Hope to, uh, hope to speak to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.